My guy, Sam I am. Sam, Sam Kent Franklin. What up, boss? How are you, man? I'm great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, it's good to see you, even though it's virtually, man. I mean, we all know why we're virtual because of this quarantine life. How are you adjusting to it? Uh, you know, pretty, I think pretty well, all in all. How about yourself? Well, same thing, all in all. I mean, those, those who don't see the visual, I, I got my little quarantine beer going on, a little scruffy, a little scruffy. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate you, man. So I, uh, I've gone through three or four different hairstyles already myself. I think it's kind of opportunity just like let loose and try anything you've been wanting to try with your style because nobody's judging. That's true. That's true. Well, we're both married, so maybe secretly our wives might be judging us. They're just not sharing it with us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so do you cut your own hair? Uh, well, sometimes I do. In this case, I, I have been, yes. Nice, 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 cool. Yeah, I um, I can cut my hair bald, but I cannot style or anything else like that. So if I'm if I'm going bald, I can cut. Other than that, I gotta go. I gotta go to a barber. Yeah, I used to cut some of my teammates' hair in college, and, and I, I think looking back on it, <laughs> not good. <laughs> Question: How much did you charge them? I can't decide what I was worst, which I was worst at, at, at which I was worst DJ or 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 hairstylist. <laughs> I mean, you got a pretty good selection in 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 music. Awesome. So I'm gonna say DJ then. I mean, I'm gonna say Barber since since you got a pretty good selection when it comes to music. Yeah, well, there's a difference between having a good selection of music and being a good DJ. True story. True story. So my question though, when you were cutting hair, how much did you charge them? Uh, I think it was. I think it was just free. I don't think I could have made any. I don't think anyone would have paid me for the kind of thing <laughs> that I was actually doing. I remember those days getting haircuts from college teammates. We used to pay three dollars. It was two individuals. Two of our teammates, our go-to. Actually, I think one of them still cuts hair, so it was actually pretty good. But at that it's time, three dollars. Three dollars, man. <laughs> it took a lot. It took a lot to get those three dollars too. Them college days, bro. That's, that's awesome. Hilarious. You should charge three dollars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if yeah. you had to go back in time, or next time somebody asks you for a haircut, or if somebody asks you for a haircut, three dollars, man. Yeah. <laughs> that that could be a side hustle for you. Yeah. Question, yeah. man. So. I, so I got a, I got a couple really questions. Expect to come out of this. This today was such a, a great, uh, a great business idea. But <laughs> right there it is. There it is. It's all yours too. It's all yours. You got it. Take it around with it. A couple questions for hey, you, man. Why don't you have me come out for one of your fundraisers, and I'll, 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 I'll do it. Uh, we'll do six dollars, and I'll do three for myself and three for you guys. Man, say less. <laughs> Let's make it happen. And now, if we can find a way to do a virtual haircut. A fundraiser, we'll be out of here, man. <laughs> if you come up with a strategic plan for that, man, man, yeah. writing checks all day. Great. Too easy. Too easy. Question for you, man. This we start off little warm up stretching. You know, you're a former athlete. You know the importance of warming up and stretching. Okay. Our really? thumbs, fingers. Mm, yeah, I love this topic. I think how much time do we have for this topic? <laughs> how we how much time you time? need? <laughs> we spend the whole time on this topic. Why not? I mean, I, I'm definitely I'm definitely on the the thumbs are fingers team. Uh, 100. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, 100. percent Oh yeah. But then why are they called thumbs? Well, because they're a subset of fingers. Like a uh, love seat is a subset of, of furniture. <laughs> And couch and subset furniture, but they're both furniture. I, this has to be the right answer for me because I have a three-year-old 
and I'm teaching him, you know, how to count and how to do stuff. And I've been teaching him that he has 10 fingers. And so if he doesn't have 10 fingers, <laughs> I have to go back and unwind a lot of, a, I have to figure out how to walk back a lot of things that I've been teaching. So there it I is. I want to come away. I'm not open-minded about the answer to that. Fair enough. Thumbs and fingers. Say less. I got you. <laughs> so next one. If you had to change your name or you could change your name from Sam, what would you change it to and why? Uh, maximum flavor. You got to give us a why. Yeah, because remember when we were working together, this goes back to when we were working together at Pittsburgh Public Schools and uh, right or right on Craig Street near our office, there was a pizza place called Maximum Flavor Pizza. <laughs> and I always thought that was like the best <laughs> business name, like the best store name. <laughs> And it was, and I always, I said, if I have a kid, someday I'm gonna name it Maximum Flavor, Franklin, because it would be like, you, you know, your short name can be Max, and so people wouldn't really think anything unusual, and they'd be like, what? So what's your, what's your Max short for? You know, Max, Maximilian, Maxwell. They'd be like, no, Maximum Flavor, <laughs> Maximum Flavor. But, and I couldn't. It's like the, I mean, the, 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 the pizza, like for that name for a pizza place, I thought that was genius. Max I couldn't get flavor. my wife, I couldn't get my wife on board with it ultimately. And, uh, that's not my son's name. Fair enough. Fair enough. MFF. I love it though. I love it. I love it. I got another one for you. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a hot dog a sandwich? Hmm. I don't think so because it's sideways. I think it's just sideways. It's one piece. It's a sideways. The sandwich is a stacked, stacked uh, layers. What about Subway? But it's, the Subway flips it on the side. If you flip a hot dog on the side, I guess, and eat it from the sideways, then you can say it's a sandwich. Got you. So <laughs> you got to flip you know, it. Yes, you have to flip them. I have a great hot dog recipe that one of my my best friends and I made up, which is called the Twizzle Dog, and uh, and it's where you where you slice a hot dog long ways, you put a Twizzler inside it, then you put it back together and grill the hot dog with the Twizzler inside it. That sounds disgusting. And then, <laughs> and then you and then you you know you you eat it. Uh, do you eat it? Do you eat it? Do you feed it to a dog? <laughs> no, it's an award-winning recipe. It's an award-winning recipe. What well, can the, can the award be valid if you're giving yourself the the, the award? <laughs> no, this is national. We this is a known. I mean, a known. You know. Uh, fair enough fair enough i love it cool man so take us back man tell us about some of your early beginnings where you're from your family sports you play uh yeah so i grew up in, um, in maryland eastern shore of maryland so maryland is a small state but it's split in half by the chesapeake bay comes right up the middle of maryland and on the western side of the chesapeake bay you've got all the places people know about baltimore Annapolis, DC, and on the eastern part of Maryland, is 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 pretty is pretty rural, and it's much less uh, common. You know, pe- people don't really think about it as much. And that's the part of Maryland I grew up on, on the eastern part of Maryland. And um, and so, uh, actually, we, we grew up on an island in the Chesapeake Bay called Kent Island. 
You say Kent Island? Yeah, same as my middle name. Are your middle name? Is that where your middle name came from? No, it's just a coincidence. Are you serious? Yeah, I moved there when I was three years old. And you grew up on your own island. It's like <laughs> it's like Gilligan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have a tattoo of it actually. <laughs> That's cool. So, talk about the sports growing up. I I, I know yeah. you're a hooper. We'll get to that. Did you play any other sports? I love sports growing up. I mean, I was into sports from the time that I was up. Just I mean, from the youngest. And uh, it's interesting because I I don't really consider myself to be a huge sports fan now. I don't I don't even I couldn't tell you the last time that I. That I, I watched a, a, a full game of sports, but but um, and I, I still like to play sports. But growing up, and by the time I was five years old, I could tell you every Baltimore Orioles player since probably ten years <laughs> earlier. And uh, I had my my baseball card collection, and I was um, you know listening to. I used to listen to. I have a Walkman, and I used to listen to. The Orioles game every night in baseball season, the the um, Bullets games in basketball, the Washington Capitals game. I mean, any I would just oh. every night I would listen to all the major sports. sports. Yeah, every sport, and I played. Um, I played pretty much every sport that that, that you could play. Um, so as a kid, I played baseball, soccer, basketball, tennis, um, ran ran uh track and cross country um and in high school i've i focused on i did tennis cross country and basketball all three and then in college in college i played basketball and so in in high school your senior year did you play all three or did you focus on basketball i played all three you stayed busy yeah yeah Favorite athlete growing up? Um, gosh, you know, I'd say I'm going back and thinking about the posters on my on my wall. You know, I probably from a kid, I probably from my earliest one I can remember is Cal Ripken. No, it's definitely yeah, definitely Orioles Cal Ripken classic. Um, I say by the, by the time I was more in high school and uh, into college, Allen Iverson. AI. Did you have Did you have his shoes? A pair of his shoes? I did. Yeah. Ooh, classic! I would like to have a pair of those now. Yeah. That's some good stuff. So, yeah. what was your basketball number? Three. Three. Because of AI. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I guess so. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So you just so you decided you had the opportunity to play basketball at the collegiate level. Talk to us. Where did you go? Talk to us about yeah. balancing so being a student athlete. So I think I think that I'll take it back to high school here. So, um, you know, basketball. I think the social element of sports has a huge influence on my life, and um, I grew up in a in a, a home that was full of books. Uh, my parents had both been to college. Um, they were very intellectual, always challenging us with questions. And I remember long dinners as a family, just talking about current events and politics and playing games. And, but I went to a big public school and, and this part of Maryland that I grew up in has a, a history and a very, I think, evident legacy of slavery. It was, a lot of people don't know this, but 
um, both two iconic American heroes, um, Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman, both born on Eastern Shore, Maryland, within an hour of where I grew up. And I went to a big public high school, even though it was a rural community, everybody in my entire county went to the same high school. So it didn't matter your, your race, it didn't matter you know, how educated your parents were, it didn't matter what part of the county you lived in, whether you lived closer to Annapolis or Baltimore, closer on the side of closer to sort of the more um, urban parts of Maryland or whether you were all the way out in the country, everyone went to the same school. And so um, I was in, I was tracked into this small college preparatory program. So only about 30% of the graduates from my high school went to college. And I was in this small group that was in this more academically kind of rigorous program. And we had, and um, those were the kids that I saw most of the day in my classes. But it was sports that really connected me and helped me build relationships with people that have very different home lives than me, that have very different visions for their future than me, that have very different academic experiences than me. And we were teammates and friends. And that's who I spent the majority of my time outside of school with. It wasn't with the kids that were in my classes, it was the kids that were on my teams. And I spent the nights at their houses and they stayed in my houses. And I mean, that was my crew, that was my, my community. Right. And through that, I started to ask a lot of questions about the world. And I started to say, why don't they have, you know, the same opportunities that I have? Why don't they have the same, um, you know, classes that I have? Why don't, like, these are my friends. They're just as smart as me. They're just as, their lives are of just as much value as me. Like, they're, why don't they have the same opportunities? And why doesn't, why aren't people pushing them in the same directions for their future as me? And, um, that's what really got me interested. And my school was not answering any of these questions. You know, they weren't helping me understand any of these answers. It was a, I was having fun at school and it was a good experience. Like I was learning stuff, but it was, they weren't helping unpack any of these like questions. And so I feel like ever since then, I've kind of been on a journey to try to understand that and then figure out some of these things. And if it wasn't for sports, I don't think that it would have, I would have ever been really exposed to, to that question, but to go, sorry to, for that long answer, but going back to your original question. Actually, I'm going to pause um, there. I'm going to pause there and we'll yeah, get to it. Yeah. So th- that's uh, you dropped a lot there. And one of the things that stand out to me is that, you know, I believe that sports is one of the ultimate unifiers. We're divided by so many different things, race, yeah. politics, religion, sex, the list goes on and on. But sports is definitely one of the ultimate unifiers. And so to your point, I mean, I was able to uh, build relationships, whether they're team, team members, or even those around the team, whether it was coaches, uh, staff workers at, at multiple levels, that I was able to build a relationship because of the game, uh, in um, the game of sport. And so, uh, so I wholeheartedly agree with you as far as, you know, the power that sports brings um, when it comes to relationships and start to build your, build your community. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, when I look back on my high school basketball career, I was not a a high school basketball star by any means. I mean, my, um, you know, at best, I was probably the fifth or sixth best player on my team. And I bet you that if you went back to that point and, you know, 
<laughs> you could debate that would be debatable <laughs> <laughs> did you play um, point guard two guard one or two um i played i could play both okay in college i played uh shoot two guard okay um but the but i was the most academically prepared for college and i was the most engaged in the college process and i was the most proactive about you know selling sort of myself to colleges and thinking about that and so i think that you know i know a couple of my teammates went on played at community college and i know another one who played in college but i was one of the only ones that actually had a college basketball career and that got to experience the the amazing experience of playing college sports you know and it really wasn't because i was the best the best player um actually got a lot better actually in college um but, but I'm yeah. sure that's also debatable. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but the, I think the point is, is, yeah. is the, the point is that you know, um, I felt like I felt like sports was amazing for me in the way that that it exposed me to some of the questions that I that I have been pursuing ever since, um, and, and also because of my privilege, you know. I was able to get the benefits of that sports experience and can, can kind of continue it on. And it didn't really necessarily happen for all my peers and, and friends. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, um, I follow, I follow. Cause, cause even from a different perspective, I also uh, experienced something similar because I was prepared uh, to be able to, and I was prepared also expected to go to college, whether I was playing sports or not. I mean, similar to what you're saying, both of my parents, you know, college educated. And that was something that was a no brainer about where you're going, not, not necessarily if you're going. And right. some of my my friends or those in my community, they didn't necessarily have that same support or that same expectations. And so therefore, you know, uh, unfortunately, going to college, even if that's where they want to go, you know, was was not in, in their uh, in their future. Yeah. 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 So I completely agree with you about sports. Um and that, and that aspect of it is really powerful. So where did you go, college? I went to Kenyon College. It's a small division three college, private college in Ohio. Probably pretty close to, to it's, it's like about an hour from Columbus. Not far, okay. So I'm originally from Warren, Ohio. So that's three hours. So I'm probably about four hours from, uh, okay. from school. Did you rock yeah. number three still? Sorry, did I what? Did you continue to rock number three, your jersey number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually, yeah, I did. And so, what did you major in? Political science. Makes sense. Makes sense with all the questions that you had. Yeah. That were, were you looking to get into politics? Were you thinking about it? I've always been interested in in it, um, and I feel like I've really had the privilege of an awesome education. So, for undergrad, I went to Kenyon College, and for grad school, I went to Carnegie Mellon. And in Pittsburgh, and and my undergraduate education was very um, much a liberal arts education, and it was really about learning how to think, how to write, how to ask questions, um, reading philosophy, reading um, different perspectives on our political system, our political history. And then Carnegie Mellon provides a much more of a skill-oriented education where you're 
gathering like a toolkit of skills related to things like um, professional speaking, financial analysis, uh, project management. And so I think those big two things fit together really nicely. And I, I didn't necessarily plan it that way. At the time, I really hadn't really have a, a broad um, understanding of that. It wasn't like I planned that, but it came together really well. That's awesome. Because, um, so, so, because you're multi-talented. So, I mean, you come across very sharp, very, very uh, engaged, but you have some other aspirations and other sides of you as well from, from rapping, you know what I mean? There's creative side to you as well. And so, uh, so I, I really appreciate like that balance that you bring and, um, and, and just those different interests that, that you build up. And so with that, you didn't, you didn't follow a career as a, um, as a entertainer or rapper, at least not yet. Talk to us about post-career. Talk about a little bit about your uh, post-career, excuse me, post-college um, uh, professional yeah, career. I mean, let's talk about that concept conceptually that you just that you just brought up, though, because it's something that I've thought a lot about and wondered about, and I think there are pros and cons to 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 this um, idea. But I think throughout throughout life, um, and many of the young people that follow you and that are part of the program, I'm sure, are thinking about these kinds of questions. I think there's always this tension between focus and, and general generalization. You know, this tension between digging really deep on something that you, you love or or focusing more on be, becoming well more well rounded and continuing to try to balance out your your skill set. And uh, and I don't know that there's like a right or wrong answer there. Um, I think that going deep on something that you are passionate about and continuing to sort of like pull on that thread to see where it leads you is is really um, powerful. And I think there are certain things where there's a really strong direct connection between how much you practice it and how, how good you get at it. But then there's also a real benefit, I think, to balance and well-roundedness. And um, I think that in the economy, that we are increasingly living in, many of the things that are highly, highly specialized are at risk of like being automated or being kind of um, sort of not as as um, important as being able to really be balanced and be able to think critically, ask those mm-hmm. questions, learn, constantly learn, and bring the mix of skills that's needed to to tackle complex problems. So um, so it's something I've actually been thinking quite a bit about recently. That's good. I totally agree. That is powerful. And, and I mean, I think you summed it as being well-rounded. And, and it just makes me think of it, back being more, being more than whatever people consider you to be. Whether if you're a teacher, be more than a teacher. What are you outside of that? If you're an athlete, be more than an athlete as well. Because, I mean, there's so much stuff that, that makes us up. And so, uh, so I, I know you got into, you got into teaching. Uh, yeah, uh, that's in, in Oakland, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I started out uh, my career. I did a program called Teach for America that uh, accepts college graduates who are non-education majors, but who are um, really passionate about social justice and 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 increasing educational equity and opportunity and. Uh, 
the program trains and supports you to become a teacher in some of the highest need, hardest staff schools in the, in the country. So I taught for three years in Oakland, California, public schools in East Oakland. Um, had an amazing experience. I met the lifelong you know, friends that are still among my, my closest, uh, closest friends. Um, and really learned, I think, so much about leadership from that experience and, and what leadership looks like, the challenges of, of, of leadership. And I think that, you know, teaching truly is like a crash course in, in what leadership, you know, it is and can be. Uh, from there, I came to, back, back to Pittsburgh, to Carnegie Mellon for grad school. And I came there really on fire with ideas about how schools could work better for kids and for teachers. And the Carnegie Mellon program, again, not something I was like sophisticated enough at the time to really be looking for to understand how impactful it would be. But that program culminated in a, a, a uh, real world consulting project, essentially, instead of a master's thesis. And for my consulting project, you basically got to either sign up for one that the school created with a real client, or you could create your own. And so a group of students and I, we connected with this with a superintendent of schools at the time in Pittsburgh. And for our for our senior like basically our graduate project, we designed a school and we created advisory committee, we brought people together in the community. Um, the superintendent obviously um, you know, was the the champion of, of this and and Eventually, when I graduated, he hired me to come on board at Pittsburgh Post Schools and actually open that school that we had designed at Carnegie Mellon. How about that? How about that? And, yeah. and uh, yeah. somewhat of a full circle is that Orange Arrow, one of our schools is Pittsburgh SciTech, which is the the school yeah. that you that you opened up. And so that that's that's pretty cool. And and like you're helping support us. We're getting that, getting that to that a little later, about with the strategic planning work. But uh, you're continuing to support that school. In, yeah. in, a, in a different in a different matter, um, yeah. so we met at Pistol Public Schools. Yep, yeah, yep. So after SciTech opened, Pittsburgh was was going through an amazing amount of change as a city and as a school system, and the superintendent was taking on some really complex challenges, uh, and. Um, had built a great relationship with the teachers union, had uh, built a great relationship with some national uh, funders, and, um, and, and Pittsburgh was selected by the Gates Foundation to be one of a handful of cities that they worked with for, um, for an extended period of time around the issue of teacher effectiveness and uh, teacher like human capital issues and trying to figure out how to make sure that um, that every student was experiencing great teaching, that teachers were more supported, and that there was a culture of, of excellence kind of created around teaching, which a lot of the work that you were doing, that effective teaching was recognized and rewarded, um, that, that, that the highest need students had access to the really great teaching that they needed. And I, I, I just finished 
the three-year process of opening SciTech and had the opportunity to lead the implementation of that teacher effectiveness work. And that was one of the most challenging and um, kind of eye-opening, humbling, um, and, you know, exciting experiences that I've had in my career. Yeah, I uh, and so, yeah, so I was in your team. You led that team. You managed that team. We had a pretty dynamic team. We had some talented individuals there. It was really cool. It was from talent, but then also we really came together. I mean, you were a huge role in leading us in that direction because like, like, we became friends. Like you and I, you know what I mean? Like you, you're my guy. <laughs> you're my guy. We, we were friends then and continue to do so and build real relationships, but we really got uh, work done as well, like at a high level. And it was a really dynamic team. So shout out to that team. Um, I keep in touch with a number of them uh, to this day. Yeah, an amazing group of people. And there were so many uh, incredible people working on that. But in, in the end, for me, that was kind of a confusing experience in some ways, in the sense that there were so many uh, just some of the most hardworking, smart, skilled, dynamic people that I've encountered in my career working on that effort and and giving so much of themselves to it and i'm talking about educators in the system i'm talking about principals i'm talking about our team i'm talking about people at the teachers union talking about just people in the community leaders and ultimately despite the fact that i think we did some really interesting and important things um the impact for kids, I think, in the end was 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 incremental, you know, mm-hmm. and it left me feeling like, gosh, all those people, all those awesome people, all those resources, and and maybe working through just traditional channels, the best that we can get is really pockets of success and incremental progress. And not that there's bad, right? Like I think that incremental progress is better than no progress and and pockets of success is better than no success, right? But 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 ultimately um, what we need to do is is really I think or at least what I felt like I needed to do is was try was take a step back and reflect on that and think about, you know, what pathways exist to try to create more transformative solutions and help really elevate leaders to have new ideas and I don't know I still don't have all the answers but um, that was definitely one of the more influential experiences in my life yeah no I, I follow there it 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 was challenging challenging work and I use the terminology traditional and while traditional must exist but the non-traditional needs to be coupled with that and paired with that to be able to have greater change, I believe, uh, because it's, it's almost like an, an invincible uh, opponent that, that you don't see. It's like, why is it is moving further along than, than what it should be? And it's just years and years and years of traditional, whether it's um, rules, bylaws, restrictions, um, you know, and, and oftentimes people have a hard time with change. Change is tough. And so thinking about an establishment that's been around for, you know, for centuries and, and, and how do you change that? And so part of that is, you know, again, like I said earlier, kind of having the traditional and having a, as you, say, um, you know, somewhat of a change, but bringing that non-traditional to hopefully uh, have greater change. 
and, and greater change. And to your point, it is really about, you know, because being in education is really about the impact for students. And, and the more that those who are working with students keep that at the center and the forefront, uh, the greater chance for success. That's what yeah. it's all about. And so, yeah, go ahead. and looking back on it, you know, I think we also have to be open to the possibility that there's certain things that we may have, may have been wrong about mm-hmm. or there's certain things. And I don't mean just about this. I mean, right. about just in life in general. Exactly. And, and I think that for me, and I, and by the way, there's certain things that, that certainly in that case that we're doing that I still believe, believe in very strongly. But there are other things I look back on and I say, you know, I try to be open minded about the fact that maybe you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I wasn't, maybe, you know, there are different ways that I could have done it or I don't know. And so now, you know, I've had a couple of jobs, professional opportunities since then that I've learned a lot from as well. Um, but now I feel like right now I have an amazing job, (laughs) um, which is in some ways connected to this idea that I feel like I've gone through these different steps of trying to improve opportunity for young people, for all young people, but especially people for whom our system is marginalized and disadvantaged. And the weird thing to me sometimes is that I feel like the longer that I go on that journey and try to think critically about it, I feel like sometimes the less I know about what we need to actually do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've learned a lot about how to approach leadership, how to approach management, about the tools that you need if you're trying to lead change, about how you bring a group of people from point A to point B. About And, and so now I, I, I work independently um, as a consultant, and I'm finding it really, really rewarding because I get to work with people like you who have big, positive ideas that could make a huge difference in the world. And I get to be there to just help with some of the thinking and process of how you actually bring the idea to life and what tools that you need to, to, to have in your, in your toolbox, what, what things you need to create. And I'm finding it really rewarding. And it's funny because when I was a kid, you know, when I was in high school and I was really getting turned on to all these concepts of like, racial justice and social justice, I had this concept in my mind about certain professions that they were very like corporate and that like, I kind of closed doors that I had never opened. You know, I was like, oh, that's like, that sounds like, like, like being like a lawyer or a consultant or those are like, I had a negative perception of those that I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but, and so, in my graduate school program, one of the most common jobs that people go into to do is nonprofit consulting and and consulting stuff. And I didn't even interview for any of those things. I didn't even I completely just closed that all off. It was like that's not that's not for me. And now I'm doing it. Now I'm doing it and I'm like, man, this is amazing. Yeah. Like you get to help people. You know, you get to help people that have ideas. You get to you know, help people sort of take something that they have this vision for and bring it, make it happen. And um, so I would encourage anybody that's listening, you know, and young people to like, just be open minded. I wish I, you know, in retrospect to not let your sort of gut feeling or your biases about certain pathways or doors 
prevent you from ever opening the door and just looking what's on the other side, you know? What's on the other side. And so when when we got to the point, we mean an orange arrow and the board of it's time to have a, a strategic plan. Um, you know, where are we going? How are we, how are we going to get there? There was no other person that I was going to reach out to first than my guy, you, Sam. So I, I reached out to you. Uh, you graciously came on board uh, to help us through this strategic plan. Talk to us about the process and your thinking when um, at the early part of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, I think that... Um, you know, what you're doing, I wouldn't have said yes if I didn't believe in what you're doing and I didn't believe in you. Um, I think that Orange Arrow's mission is compelling and its angle is unique. I think the idea of working on these challenges through, through sports and connecting through sports is really smart. And I, I, I think that um, you have a unique level of intangible charisma and ability to attract people to something big that um, makes me believe that your vision is possible. Um, and I think you also have a really, something that doesn't always go hand in hand with what I just said, <laughs> I, which is that you have a level of um, awareness and humility about areas where you need you need others to fill in the gaps like you you have this this um combination you know of 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 charismatic leadership and vision but also real awareness of where you need help and an ability and openness to asking for it that's actually i'm I'm, I'm gonna pause right there because that's something i'm glad you mentioned that because that's something i've worked on especially when it comes to orange arrows I have referred to OA as this is my baby. You know what I mean? I know it's good for my baby. Don't tell me about my baby. But to be able for the organization to grow, I need other people to be able to pour into it so it becomes sustainable. Uh, I, when I think of leadership, I think of being vulnerable. And so being open to feedback, whether it feels good or not, in order for, for the greater good. And so go ahead. I'll let you continue. So thanks yeah. for calling that out because that's something I have been, been working on. Yeah, good for you. I mean, I've, I've thought about change leadership a lot, and I've watched myself as a change leader, and I've watched the, the leaders that I've worked for. Um, and I think that goes back to that thing we talked about earlier about well depth versus breadth and well-roundedness versus, you know, being really a specialist. And I think that to be a great change leader, it requires balance and it requires a, the the four things that I talk about and think about are vision you have to be able to cast a really inspiring and clear and detailed vision process you have to be able to actually create a, a roadmap of how to get from where you're starting to that vision and that's where all those details come in you know your your project plan your timelines your budget your uh organizational capacity like 
your your just even your strategy for how you engage people, how, how you move from, what's your plan for getting from point A to point B. The third piece is relationships, you know, the ability to bring others, create a coalition of support around your idea. And then the last piece is problem solving, because even if you have a great vision, you have a good plan, you, 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 you build those relationships, unexpected barriers are going to come up along the way, change is not easy, there's going to be problems that you have to respond to. And I've seen enough leaders and supported enough of leaders to, see, to, to understand and see how your greatest strengths as a leader are also going to, wherever you gravitate along those four things is also going to be your biggest weakness, is going to be your vulnerability. Because leading change effectively requires all those things to be working together. And if you're a visionary and you want to just stay in the vision space, well, that's only going to get you so far. Because, and, and conversely, you know, if, you, if you're a great problem solver, you might move up the ranks in your career and get promoted and promoted and promoted, but suddenly you're going to be in a spot where problem solving isn't enough. It's not going to get you, I mean, you have to, you have to be able to, to really cast that vision and, and look ahead. And so there's two ways to address that. You know, one way is to become really well-rounded and, and, and work across all of them. And right. another is to really be aware of your That's own important. limitations yes. and, and be disciplined about filling in those gaps. And so um, it takes a, a really astute, you know, leader to understand and be aware of that and fill that, fill that in. So, um, you know, I think with Orange Arrow, where I see the opportunity is really to help with that process piece. I think you're, 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 you're just awesome at building relationships. You have a, a really compelling vision. Um, you, you, you have a, um, I think, so, you know, I think where the strategic plan comes in is it really articulates that how, you know, that piece of, okay, well, here's our vision and here's where we are today. How do we get from here to here? And what is our actual program? And how can we explain it in a way that's just, that is accessible, clear, consistent, so that people can actually organize themselves against it? That's that's so important. I, early on, beginnings of Orange Arrow, starting OA, a lot of the decisions were based upon like a feeling, an instinct, an opportunity, like, okay, let's go here, let's go there. Yeah. And so while we've had a significant impact and, and, and made some significant strides, it's been difficult for other folks to understand where we're going and how we're going to get there so they could help at a greater level. And part of that I saw is because of uh, the lack of guidance and a lack, lack, lack of strategic plan on my part. And so realizing that, and, and now that we were up 35 page uh, into a strategic plan and, 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 and rarely to, uh, you know, to seal it, sign, seal, and deliver, it feels so much more, it feels better. I feel refreshed. I feel much more confident when speaking to a potential donor, speaking to the media about who we are, where we're going, and how we're going to get there, and it allows me to make uh, clearer decisions. And so, all right, is this part of the plan? Nope, we won't go this direction. And so we can always revert back to the plan and allow the team to follow it and also the board members as well. And so... So speak to a little bit more about, you know, your thought of in your approach of how we got to this wonderful um, document plan. Yeah, so I, I work with lots of, of leaders on this kind of process and 
Um, I think the advantage that I bring to it, or one of the edge, the, the advantages that I have is that um, I didn't go right into consulting. You know, I was leading teams and doing work for fi- for for fifteen plus years, um, sitting on you know not exactly in the seat that you're in, but but being the one who had to deliver the plan had to so. I try to take a very practical approach that um, does a few things. You know, one is that I really try to avoid a lot of like the spinning on like what's our mission and vision and goals. Not that that stuff's not important, but I, I, I view the process of strategic planning as as having um, three pretty simple parts one is problem definition the second one is program design and the third one is process planning and what i find a lot of times that leaders want to sit in that second one they're excited about their program design and they want to be like well here's what we're going to do we're going to do this and this and that but they don't spend as much time actually trying to understand the problem that they're trying to solve like really just like reading about it, challenging their thinking about it. Like, am I actually right? And this is like the trying to get to the underlying cause of it, but also figuring out how they explain the problem to other people. Because if you go into a presentation or you go into a room and you just start talking about your program and what you're going to do, people are going to respond in one way. But if you go in and you talk about the problem, the why, and you really get them convinced that, wow, like, okay, I don't know if I agree with your your program yet, but I definitely agree that this is a problem right. that warrants attention. You know, then the second piece is a program design and getting to a really clear one. And then the last piece, again, where we, we, we try, try to spend more time than maybe some other process that I went through on the other side of the table is on that how piece. Okay, so how are we going to actually get from where we are today to seeing this grow and spread? And so if you can align those three things and you have a good strategic plan, in my opinion. Excellent. And so working with us, how was it? How was it working with the, uh, the OAT? <laughs> well, I think it's ongoing. I mean, right. I think that, um, that, uh, but I feel really, I feel really proud of what we've accomplished so far. I mean, I feel like a lot of it was already there in your mind and it's getting it on paper. And, and, that's so important, you know, that's so important because the only way other people can really, leadership is also a big element of leadership is teaching. This goes back to my comments about my own experience teaching in, in Oakland. Teaching is leadership and leadership is teaching. And yeah, you have this vision in your mind, but so what, like, and I think this is an important lesson for young people to learn is that I think that there are some young people who bring a mindset of they expect a system that's been around for a hundred years or, or in many cases, many more. And they sort of expect it to like, well, if I just come in and say my idea, it will listen to my idea. Right. <laughs> or like, it will sort of roll out the red carpet for me and uh, I'll just, you know, but who are you? You're just yeah. one of a million other exactly. people who have a million other ideas. Right. 
So, so pe- you have to teach people your idea, and one way to do that is, you know, by putting it, 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 on, it, it somewhere where it's transparent, where people can actually read it, where they can think about it. And, um, you know, I think that we're really, really getting there, and, um, and we're creating something, especially if you want to make something scalable that other people can actually implement somewhere else where you're not even there. Right. You know, so... What, yeah, what, within the plan, what piece, what piece stands out to you that you feel like, yeah, I feel, I feel good about where we landed with that. Well, I think that, um, I think that the just the ability to clarify what are the four central elements of this program, and the fact that they can be delivered virtually or in person, or it doesn't. But this is this this is like the what of what this program is, and then these are the supporting design features that bring it to life. I think just getting to that place of simplicity around that and clarity is is huge. Yeah. And then the other piece I think is the financial work that we've been doing because I think that gets back to this how point is like. People are, I mean, what do you expect? People that, like, are investing money in something or, or support something, like, like you go in and you tell them a great story about your program, you show them that it's working, but if you don't even know what to ask for or right. what to, or you don't even know how you're going to get, what it, what resources it would take to get your program from, you know, point A to, to point B, like, how can they help, you know? And, and that's another lesson I think for young people to keep in mind is that my experience is that there are a lot, a lot of people in the world that are, there are a lot of good people out there that want to help. They want to help you as an individual in your life, and they want to help um, your your ideas, you know. But they're busy, <laughs> and and they could help with a million other ideas and a million other people's lives. Right. So I think that if that one of the keys is making it easy for them to help. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Like, like make it easy for them to help. Like, like ask them specific things. You know, don't like. Otherwise, the the, the outcome of the vast majority of meetings is going to be something like this. Hey, Sean, it was a great meeting with you. You know what? I'll tell you what I can do. I can introduce you to this other person. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you, it, then oh, meet that person. Yeah, yep. Going to meeting with exactly. Like, not that that's not good, right? But but I think that the two, as soon as you start to have specific asks, then specific things start to happen. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I uh, when I ask that question, those four pillars that are uh, the most valuable pillars, the MVPs of. You know, a position college student athletes is life performance coaches, uh, uh, connected all year round, competition based learning, and deep community partnerships. So that's the four you were speaking to, and also another thing that that stands out for me, and so just sharing a little bit more, uh, what's in the plan is you now you had us think about where we want to be in the year twenty twenty six. How many universities? What does that look like? What would the budget look like? And then start to back map it from there it was a uh, it was a grueling process <laughs> it took some time some thinking into it because i would rather be out 
uh, with college student athletes doing life skills, young student athletes, I'd rather be out. And so actually the timing of this unfortunate, you know, this quarantine is that we actually were really able to get a lot of work done because we were quarantined and we were inside. Let's jump on a Zoom meeting. You know, let's who, let's get RJ. Let's get Ron. Let's get other team members. And, and it actually forced me to get in front of a computer to start to work on it. And, and the way you worked as well, just uh, just really guide us through that, man. It's been it's been tremendous. And again, like I said earlier, you know, I'm excited about you know where we're going and how we're going to get there now that we have this roadmap. But yeah, from 2026 and start the bat map it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but 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 that's kind of the um, you know th- that's that's opportunity area for growth for me, and that's something that I leaned into it, and then you know bringing people in like yourself who has expertise in that area and learning from. Uh, learning through this process has been great for me. Yeah, thanks. It's not that different from sports. I mean, it's not that different from physical exercise. It's like the things that are hard, and when something feeling hard in your mind, you feel that you know that is challenging. Your that's a good sign, right? That's like, oh, this is the work. Like this is when I'm getting stronger. Um, and and so, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you. To help them through their strategic planning process, uh, project development, or program design, how can they get? How can they get in touch with you? How can they reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. They can hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, have my I also have website samkfranklin.com uh, or samkentstrategy.com, and they can uh, email me at sam at samkentstrategy.com. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been an awesome conversation. Thanks for having me. No, thank, thank you. Thank you again. I uh, really appreciate you. And this is just the uh, tip of the iceberg, you know. So yeah. uh, 2026, you know, <laughs> we're, we, got, we got some time to get there. So Sam, I am. Need you, bro. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you for your time. Tell the family I said hello. And until uh, next time. All right. Peace. All right, boss. Thanks.